0: Thanks for tuning in. I'm Renee. And I'm Shelby. And you're listening to The Creepy Burrito. Welcome back to the best podcast in the world. I don't know. Might be a little biased, though. Who knows? A little bit. A little bit. But I will tell you who does know. The people who left us sweet-ass reviews. Oh,
1: yes. We love it.
0: We got a review on Facebook from Nicole, who says, First podcast I ever listened to and was hooked from the beginning. Ladies are so entertaining and tell stories that are rarely told. Definitely recommend them. You won't be disappointed. Only wish new episodes more than once a week. LOL. Taco emoji, taco emoji, burrito, burrito, burrito emoji.
1: (laughs) I just love saying all the emojis. I love all of the emojis. Well,
0: thank you, Nicole, for listening to us and loving us. We love you, too. The burrito family welcomes you. The big burrito loves it. And it is possible that in the future, we
1: might have more than one episode a week. We could do that. We got stuff rolling. We got tons of stuff. The cogs are turning. We're working on it. We're doing shit. (laughs) We're trying our best. Speaking of trying our best, we
0: suck. (laughs) (laughs) And we didn't know... That apparently iTunes only lets you see reviews on podcasts based on what you have your store set to, and since we are from the U.S., we didn't know that uh, apparently you cool ass people were leaving us reviews from other countries because
1: iTunes apparently <laughs> blows <laughs> dicks. I love iTunes. Don't talk shit on iTunes. I'm a Spotify user. Ah, uh, meh. Anyway, we did find this review from My Pink Litter with the title of Great Podcast, Five Stars. I was a bit unsure at first listening to the girl's intro. I nearly turned it off, but it has been great content, and I really enjoyed it. I'm so glad that you stuck through it. Our first (laughs) episodes might be a little bit scary, and also that trailer, we did our best. (laughs) And thank you for
0: not sending us a nasty email when we didn't read your review, because we did not know that you left it.
1: Yeah. So we will get better, as we have been. Thank you for loving us. Improving over time. (laughs) Over time. We are becoming better
0: burritos. And also, we are officially ten days away from Halloween. And in case you forgot, only one week away from our first ever creepy-sode. So remember to send an email in to thecreepyburrito at gmail.com. Tell us about that one time you were abducted. Or the one time that you discovered the ghost of John Wayne living in your kitchen sink. Or the one time where you won a poker game against Nosferatu. Each story will be read next Wednesday. And, bonus Jonas, if you send us a story, you'll be entered in a raffle drawing to win a spooktacular
1: surprise giveaway. And trust me, you're gonna want this shit. I want this shit. Make sure you send in those stories by October 24th.
0: Anyway, being so excited for my favorite season of the year,
1: what better time is there to talk about the Bell Witch? <laughs> I love this voice. Ten out of ten. Keep it forever.
0: Uh, yeah, that's that was a once in a lifetime. No voice.
1: Do it for everything. No. I love it. I might toss it in. The Bell Witch. <laughs> it's me, Bill. <laughs> funny that you said boo because
0: it's a little known fact is she's actually a spirit not a witch which is kind
1: of confusing i ah, see what i did there i see what
0: you did there okay anyway now the story of the bell witch is among one of the most well known urban legends in the united states but for those of you who haven't heard about it i'm here to change that for you so our story starts with john bell I wanna do that thing from Wayne's world where they're like do 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 do. So John Bell was born in 1750 in Halifax County, North Carolina. He was an apprentice barrel maker during his early life, but later pursued a career in farming. He married Lucy Williams, a local farmer's daughter, in 1782, and they settled on some farmland that John had previously bought in Edgecombe County. Over the next few years, John and Lucy prospered and were among the area's most successful farmers. They started a family, and all was well, that is, until 1801 and 1804 crop seasons, where all of their crops failed. It's speculated that perhaps for this reason John decided to look westward for a new home. It's possible that he maybe saw more opportunity for his family out that way. Regardless, in 1804, John Bell moved his family, which consisted of John, Lucy, and their 9 children. Oh, she was busy.
1: They were busy
0: to northern Robertson County, Tennessee. John purchased 320 acres of land and a large house for his family in a community called Red River, which many years later became Adams, Tennessee. Now, I did read some conflicting information. I read that they only had six children while living in North Carolina and then had the rest after moving to Tennessee, but either way, there were nine children in total. There was Jesse, Benjamin, Drury, John Jr., esther zadick elizabeth otherwise known as betsy richard and joel now during this time much of tennessee was still a wild and remote area and with much of the land being unsettled the bell family farm quickly became prosperous even more so than they were back in north carolina now over the next decade john bell tamed the frontier became a pretty prominent man in the community and even became a deacon of the red river baptist church They were well-liked by their neighbors and were all-around good, upstanding people. Some of their older children even got married and started their own families within the community. But by the late summer of 1817, something happened that would change their lives forever.
1: Ooh, ominous,
0: dark setting. It would start with a slight tapping. So light, it was hard to hear. But when the family would notice it, The tapping would stop. They would look around for the source of the noise, but find nothing. They would look out the window, but see nothing. Only the dark night. Eventually, this escalated to a slight knock, knock, knock on the front door. So when someone would get up to open the door, they would see nothing but the dark, vast Tennessee wilderness staring back at them. Nothing was there. At least, nothing that they could see. Soon this too escalated to even more frequent knocking, but from different areas of the home. Sometimes it even sounded like it was coming from inside the walls. At this time, whatever was happening seemed to target more specifically Richard, one of the youngest Bell children. He was only six years old at the time and would lie awake at night being tormented by these knocking sounds. The knocking would come from all over his room, not just one particular place. A knock on the door, a knock on the window, a knock on the wall behind his head. This persisted for a few nights in a row, but then something different happened. The knocking started as per usual, but also the sound of faint whispers. Poor Richard suffered with this alone every night. He shared a bedroom with his three other brothers, but they didn't seem to hear the same thing he was hearing. And Richard didn't dare tell his parents, because he knew that they would tell him he was imagining it. So instead, he started putting off going to bed, acting out, doing anything that he could to avoid going to his room. And as if he wasn't terrified enough already, his hair started being pulled at night, the corner of the blankets tugged at. He suffered with this alone, night after night. At this point, the activity was increasing so rapidly that, fortunately for Richard, his brothers started to notice. They started hearing noises which sounded like a rat gnawing at the bedpost. Richard's older brothers, John Jr. and Drury, got up to kill the rat, but it was nowhere to be seen. The boys figured the rat ran off when it heard them getting out of bed. After they examined the bedposts, there were no marks. Confused, the boys got back into bed, but almost immediately the noise started happening again. The boys got out of bed again, but the noise stopped. They searched the room for the rat, only to get back into bed after finding nothing again. And this went on for several hours. Eventually, the noise stopped and didn't start back up again. The boys felt relieved and finally started to drift back asleep when suddenly they heard their sister Betsy scream from her room. The boys ran into their sister's room to see what was wrong, and she had told them that there was a rat in her room and how she heard it gnawing on her bedpost. The boys checked every corner, every inch of that room, including the bedpost, and found no evidence of any rat. This happened for several nights in a row, in addition to a new scratching sound like nails clawing on the floor. Shortly after being tormented at night, some of the children started having strange experiences during the day. Drury said that while he was working outside on the farm, he had seen a bird of extraordinary size that looked like no bird he'd ever seen before sitting on a fence post before flying away. Betsy said one day, during a walk around the property, she saw a girl in a green dress swinging from a tree limb. Betsy thought that it might have been one of her neighbors, so she approached the girl. Upon getting closer, the girl drew back her long black hair from her face and flashed an evil grin. It was not a girl, but a woman.
1: You know it would be funny—not funny, but kind of funny. So, what if the woman was just a woman, and someone looks at you when you're just trying to get your hair out of your face, and then just starts screaming and running away from you? I would feel very <laughs> sad. <laughs> like, you're just like, "Hi, kid," and then they're like, "Oh no, <laughs> I'm ugly." <laughs> okay. Oh.
0: So. The bell children never knew what exactly they were going to experience next, but the one thing that they could always count on is that they were going to experience these noises at night. Eventually, they tried to ignore the sounds, but the sounds would grow louder and louder, almost like if they ignored it, the more angry whatever caused these noises became. Blankets were ripped off of their beds, sometimes they heard footsteps, the sound of chairs falling over, Sometimes the sounds of stones being thrown or dropped, the sounds of chains rattling and being dragged across the floor, and, most unsettling, a gulping or a choking sound, like someone was being strangled.
1: Oh, oh no, I
0: don't like that one. The children would frequently look for the source of these sounds, but nothing would be found. No rat, no rocks, no chains, nothing. The children determined that the sounds were in no way coming from any living creature. Night after night, the noises would persist until eventually one night, the children found out that whatever was causing these noises could answer them. If they asked a question that had a numerical answer, they could get the correct response in either bangs, taps or knocks. The children finally decided one night to tell their parents. Unbeknownst to them, their father, John Bell, had also had his own paranormal experience. One day, John Bell was out inspecting his cornfield when, out of the corner of his eye, he saw a black figure rush past him. He quickly turned around and searched the field, but there was nothing. He looked around for a few more minutes, searching for this mysterious black figure, when finally he saw it. A strange-looking animal sitting in the middle of a corn row, maybe a hundred feet away, which had the body of a dog, but the head of a rabbit. Shocked by the appearance of the animal, John grabbed his gun and shot at the creature. Even though the creature was far away, John was a pretty good shot, so he was sure he had hit it, but he heard no yelp or cry that a wounded animal would normally make. And when the smoke cleared, the creature simply vanished. There was no body, no animal trying to drag itself away, nothing. John hadn't thought much of this experience until his children came to him with their own claims, telling him that they had even been communicating with the spirit with numerical questions. To prove what his children were saying was true, and to make himself feel better about his own suspicions, he skeptically shouted, How many horses do we have? And to his utter surprise, came 12 distinct knocks around the cabin, one for every horse they had. At this point, the entire family believed that something other than just the family or their servants was living in this house. Something inhuman. As time went on, the entire Bell family began hearing faint whispering voices. No one was able to make out exactly what these voices said. They could only determine it sounded like a feeble old woman singing hymns. At some point, whatever causing this took a particular interest in the Bell's youngest daughter, Betsy as she began to experience pretty brutal encounters. It would pull her hair and tickle her relentlessly, and when Betsy would try to defend herself, she would be slapped and pinched, often leaving welts and handprints on her face and body. When she undressed, she often found deep purple bruises that seemed to come from nowhere. John Bell told his family to keep these disturbances a secret for fear of what his community would think. But after a year of these encounters increasing and becoming more threatening, John confided in his closest friend and neighbor, James Johnson. John told him of their troubling experiences and asked James to maybe stay the night in hopes that after James also experienced what went on inside the house, he would maybe have some idea of what to do. James, being a very religious and spiritual man, agreed. He and his wife spent the night at the Bell home and were subjected to the same terrifying disturbances as the Bell family. They heard all kinds of noises that night. What they described as someone sucking in air through their teeth, lip smacking, scratching, and gnawing. Knocks and taps seemed to be coming everywhere from every corner of the room in such quick succession that James knew it was no one or no animal. The activity continued to escalate throughout the night until eventually his bed covers were ripped off of him as well. James sprang up out of bed and yelled, in the name of the Lord, who are you and what do you want? There was no answer and even more eerily, the house fell completely silent. They enjoyed the silence that overcame the house but it was quickly interrupted by a light or what looked like a candle flame darting back and forth outside of the window. When they got up to inspect the light, it darted into the forest. So the next morning, John and his sons went to investigate the woods that the light darted into and they were suddenly attacked. Chunks of wood and stones that seemingly came from nowhere were thrown at them, blocking the path that they were on until they finally retreated from the woods. That morning, James told John Bell that it was a spirit just like in the Bible. James suggested to John that more people should be told of what was going on inside the home. And with that, a committee was formed and an investigation started. Before long, this unseen force had strengthened over time to the point that its voice was now loud and unmistakable. It sang hymns, quoted scripture, carried on intelligent conversation, and once even quoted, word for word, two sermons that were preached at the same time on the same day, 13 miles apart. When asked who and what it was, it gave different identities. At one point, James Johnson returned to the Bell home to once and for all confront whatever entity was tormenting his friend and his family. He stood in Betsy's room and yelled, who are you, what do you want? And unlike the last time, he got a reply. They heard a disembodied female voice reply, I am a spirit. I was once very happy, but have been disturbed. And immediately, all the candles in the house blew out and left them in total darkness. Soon after, the spirit then haunted the Johnson's family home for two weeks. With the same routine it had at the Bell's house, the entity would make strange sounds at night, gnawing, scratching, knocking, tapping, choking. Eventually, the spirit even started mimicking some of the Johnson family members. James would hear his wife calling from inside of another room when she wasn't even home. After this, James never returned back to the Bell home to confront the spirit. The entity made it known that not only did it hate the Bell family, but it also had it out for their slaves as well. One night, when a slave named Dean tried to enter the house, the spirit paralyzed him and beat him with invisible blows to the head and stomach. After this attack, Dean was too afraid to go back into the family home. Not only that, Dean was too afraid to go outside anymore at night because every time he did, he would see a large black dog. Sometimes it would have two heads, sometimes no head at all. But no matter what, every time, it would chase him. Dean's wife was convinced that the spirit was a witch, so she made him a witch ball filled with items to protect him. Dean began to carry this with him everywhere he went and, even more practical, an ax. Eventually, the spirit not only haunted the Bell family, their slaves, and the Johnsons, but it began haunting the entire community. Anytime that the Bell family had a moment of peace, the spirit was harassing another family. There was an English immigrant who lived within the community who had volunteered to investigate the home. While he was inside, he made a comment about his family who lived overseas. Shortly afterwards, he and the people he was speaking with began to hear voices perfectly mimicking his English parents. That night, the man woke to more voices of his parents expressing that they were worried about their son. The Englishman quickly left the next morning, and later wrote to the Bell family, apologizing for his skepticism, because the entity did, in fact, visit his family in England, mocking his voice to them. John Johnson, the son of James Johnson, devised a test for the witch, something that no one outside of his family would know, what his Dutch step-grandmother in North Carolina would say to the slaves if she thought that they did something wrong. The entity then replied with his grandmother's accent, Hut tut, what has happened now? It was not long before people were coming from miles around to hear and witness this unseen force that was terrorizing the Bell Home. And of course now this next story is all off the record and has never been truly confirmed, but even future president Andrew Jackson made a trip to the Bell Farm. As he approached the Bell property, Jackson, who was merely a general at the time, declared that he did not believe in ghosts, at which point the wagon suddenly stopped. No matter how hard the horses tried, they couldn't pull the carriage. His men examined the wheels, and they could find nothing wrong. His men even tried to push the carriage to no avail. Jackson proclaimed, By the eternal, boys, that must be the Bell Witch. Then suddenly, he and his men heard a disembodied female voice say, "'All right, General, let the wagon move on. "'I'll see you again tonight.'" And as suddenly as the wagon stopped, it was able to move again. Jackson and his men proceeded across the property, up the lane, and to the Bell family home, where his men made camp, and Jackson himself spoke with John Bell about the Native Americans and other topics, while Jackson's entourage waited to see if the entity was going to manifest. After several hours, one of the men in Jackson's group proclaimed that he was a witch tamer and pulled out a pistol. He said that his pistol contained a silver bullet that would kill any evil spirit that it came into contact with. He even went on to say that the reason nothing had happened to them thus far was because whatever had been disturbing the bells was scared of his silver bullet. It's reported that Jackson then whispered, I bet this fellow is an arrant coward, By the Eternals, I do wish this thing would come. I want to see him run. Suddenly, the same disembodied female voice said, All right, General, I'm on hand and ready for business. And almost immediately, the man who proclaimed to be the witch tamer screamed and began jerking his body in different directions, screaming that he was being struck by an unseen force, and eventually fled from the tent and ran off. The female voice was then heard saying again, How the devil did run and beg! I bet he won't come here again with his old horse pistol to shoot me. I guess that's enough fun for tonight, General. You can go to bed now. I'll come back tomorrow night and show you another rascal in this crowd." Jackson was eager to stay, wanting to see more from this alleged witch, and who exactly was going to be uncovered next. But his men had enough, so they chose to leave instead, never being bothered by the entity again. Jackson allegedly said, I'd rather face the entire British army than spend another night with the bell witch. But no matter who the Entity haunted, it always made its way back to the Bell family. At times, the Spirit displayed even kindness towards Lucy, John Bell's wife, who the Spirit referred to as the most perfect woman to walk the earth. The Entity would give Lucy fresh fruit and sing hymns to her, but the Entity continued to express its dislike for John Bell and vowed relentlessly to kill him. John Bell, who was 70 years old at the time, was being attacked by the spirit even more aggressively than it did to anyone else prior. It would slap him, pinch him, beat him, digging into his skin until it bled and bruised. He had been plagued with swelling of the throat and often had the feeling of a stick being stuck sideways inside of it. Then came the twitching and jerking of his facial muscles, leading eventually into bouts of facial paralysis. During the day, John would open his mouth to say something, only to feel like his mouth had been glued shut. His tongue was heavy and he couldn't move it. All he could do was simply gesture until the paralysis had passed. The entity would threaten him, whispering only to him of how he would die. And by the late fall of 1820, his declining health had confided him to the house. Her loud, shrill voice could be heard from all over the farm, cursing old Jack Bell. John had reportedly told people, I will not see the age of 71, and he was correct. One day, John Bell Jr. went to the medicine cabinet to get one of the medications that his father had been taking. Upon opening the cabinet, instead of seeing the usual medications, he saw a jar filled with a black, smoky liquid. He grabbed the jar to inspect it, when suddenly he heard the entity whisper, It's useless for you to relieve old Jack. I gave him a big dose while he was fast asleep. John Bell Jr. then ran to his father's bed, but unfortunately, he was too late. John Bell Sr. was dead. The entity then spoke again, saying joyfully, I gave old Jack a big dose of that last night, which fixed him. John Bell Jr. then reportedly threw the bottle into the fireplace, which immediately shattered, burst into a bright bluish flame and shot up the chimney. A few days later, everyone gathered to honor John Bell Sr., His funeral was one of the largest ever held in the area at the time. When the pastor got up to speak, everyone could hear the sound of a female laughing. And when the pastor continued speaking, the entity started singing. And unlike the usual hymns, this time it sang a drinking song, which went, With woman and wine, I defy every care, For life without these is a bubble of air. Life without these is a bubble of air, Each helping the other, in pleasure I roll and a new flow of spirits alivens my soul. Every time the pastor would try to give his eulogy, the spirit would sing another drinking song and continue to do so until the very last person left the graveyard. With John Bell Sr. dead, the spirit moved its attention to Betsy again, taking a particular interest in her romantic affairs. A young man named Joshua Gardner became interested in Betsy. With the blessing of their parents, they decided to marry Everyone was happy about their engagement. Everyone, that is, except for the entity that had been haunting the Bell family. Betsy claims that she had an experience where she heard the spirit repeatedly say, don't marry him. Betsy tried to ignore the warnings, but anytime Joshua would come over, he would be pelted with rocks. Anything he tried to drink would turn bitter, and if he tried to touch Betsy romantically, the house would fill with a horrible rotten smell. Betsy eventually postponed her wedding to Joshua in hopes that the entity would leave them alone, but she was wrong. The spirit continued to haunt them for the next eight months. Betsy wrote in her diary, When the spirit became so tantalizing, filling my mind with horror and causing me to become so nervous, my parents often sent me to a neighbor's to rest for the night. My first night away from home was spent with Feeny Thorne, and when we retired, there came a loud knocking outside the door, which seemed to fly open, and a great gust of wind was felt. Feeney sprang up to light a candle, and to our surprise, the door was not open. Then a voice softly spoke, "'Betsy, you should know not to have come here. You know I could follow you anywhere. Now get a good night's sleep.' She went on to say that suddenly she felt a hand touch her cheek, and then everything went black as she lost consciousness." Betsy and Joshua could not go anywhere without the entity taunting them persistently. Finally, on Easter Monday of 1821, Betsy met Joshua at the river and broke off their engagement in hopes that this would finally bring an end to whatever was tormenting her. And for once, the disturbances did decrease. Later that month, the entity visited John Bell's widow, Lucy. The spirit told her that it would return for a visit in seven years. And indeed, seven years later, the entity returned in 1828, as promised. Only this time, the entity targeted John Bell Jr. But unlike any of the other encounters before, this was a peaceful one. The spirit discussed things with John Jr. such as the origin of life, different civilizations, Christian theology, and a need for a mass spiritual reawakening, even accurately predicted the Civil War. The entity also told John Bell Jr. that there was a reason for his father's death. However, she never said what the reason was. After three weeks, the entity left, promising to visit John Bell's most direct descendant in another 107 years, making the year 1935. However, there are no reports of her returning to haunt the closest living descendant to John Bell Jr., which was his grandson, a Nashville physician, Dr. Charles Bailey Bell. So Dr. Charles Bell did publish a book in 1934 entitled The Bell Witch, A Mysterious Spirit. The book retold stories he stated were told to him by his great aunt Betsy later in her life. And it also included the account of Andrew Jackson's visit and also detailed a few prophecies that were allegedly given to his ancestors in 1828 by the spirit, including that the witch was set to return again in 1935, the year after his book was published. Coincidental? No follow-up was made and uh, Dr. Bell died in 1945, so. So we don't know. Don't know. I would also like to point out too that it's a little coincidental that after Betsy broke off her engagement with Joshua Gardner, she began seeing and eventually married in 1824 to a man named Richard Powell, who was actually her former schoolteacher. Oh. Yikes. Richard Powell uh, had noticeably been interested in Betsy for some time and expressed interest in marrying her when she became older. And after their marriage, they moved and settled in a nearby community that later became known as Cedar Hill. And the entity that had been haunting Betsy must have apparently approved of this relationship because she never bothered her again. Well, that's
1: convenient. Could, If been, you don't want to be right. in an arranged marriage, then you want to marry and bone your teacher. Mm-hmm. Hot for teacher.
0: <laughs> I'd also like to point out, too that many of the things that John Bell Jr. was experiencing were more than likely neurological, like, degenerative Mm -hmm. disorders. Like, very little, if anything, was known at that time. So... Honestly, the most rational explanation that they probably had was that it was a spirit. It's true that they might have been haunted by something, but it's also very possible that the facial paralysis that he was experiencing were more than likely strokes. Mm -hmm. And the jerks and the twitching that he experienced while being beaten were more than likely seizures. But it is interesting, too, that several years after John Bell Sr.'s death, a disorder was discovered known as Bell's palsy. And um, this Bell's palsy actually shared a lot of similarities of what John Bell Sr. experienced, but the name Bell's palsy is in no way in relation to John Bell or his family. It came from uh, this guy named Sir Charles Bell, who was a 19th century anatomy professor. Again, no way in relation to John Bell or his family, but ironically enough, he did have a younger brother named John Bell who also died in 1820. Oh. So, weird. There's also been a lot of speculation about who the spirit or the entity was. The spirit often gave different explanations as to why it appeared, tying its origin to the disturbance of Native American burial grounds located on the property. It could be possible that the spirit was maybe not attached to the Bell family per se, but maybe the land. The Bell family made absolutely no mention of witches or spirits or believing in the like when they lived in North Carolina. And it took almost a decade after moving to Tennessee for them to start experiencing this paranormal activity. The family did live on the unsettled remote territory of Tennessee. So it's possible that over time with them building the farm because it's 1800, it's gonna Mm -hmm. take 10 years to build a farm. So maybe somewhere along those lines, they disturbed something and thus, began the hauntings. Another rumor that people speculated was that this witch was the spirit of a woman named Kate Batts. Kate was an outcast in the Red River community, having little money and doing the majority of the hard physical labor on her family's farmland for her husband who was paralyzed in an accident. She was well known for being eccentric and allegedly had a habit of trying to impress people, making a scene and trying to always be the center of attention. And, coincidentally enough, died very shortly before John Bell and his family started having these paranormal experiences. Now, allegedly, prior to her death, she and John Bell Sr. had gotten into a violent quarrel after she claimed that he had cheated her in a land deal. Now, some other people believe that she might have even been a scorned lover of his, but with him being a Baptist and so religious, I don't think that is as likely. But either way, Kate at some point felt that John Bell Sr. crossed her, and she vowed revenge. This is what is most commonly believed, and the unseen force is usually referred to as Kate, even by John Bell Sr. himself. So... I think that that's kind of telling that he would even call the spirit Kate. Like, Mm. why are you calling her Kate? Anyway, so the entity, or Kate's presence, was almost non-existent after John Bell's death. Almost as if the spirit's purpose had been fulfilled. After his death, it's rumored that the entity fled the Bell's home and took refuge in a cave on the property, which became known as the Bell Witch Cave. In 2008, the Bell Witch Cave was actually put on the National Historic Register, and yes, you can visit the cave to this day. The cave is approximately 490 feet or 150 meters long, but has tons of small passageways that are too tight for anyone to access, leading people to estimate that the cave might even be as much as 15 miles deep or a little over 24 kilometers. Now the cave is privately owned and tours are given throughout the summer and in October where you can even tour a replica of the log cabin that the Bell family lived in. There have also been many, many reports of paranormal activity from inside the cave. Reports of hearing a woman's voice, things being thrown, different shadows being seen. And for all my ghost adventure fans Mm -hmm. out there, in 2005, they made history by being the first ever paranormal TV show to investigate the Bell Witch Cave. If you're just joining us in this episode, yes, Me and Shelby are already well aware that we are lame for loving ghost adventures. (laughs) Zach Baggins is a douchebag. And I fucking love it.
1: (laughs) It's so good.
0: Anyway, so when I tried to look this up um, for like the date of when this episode of Ghost Adventures aired, Travel Channel's website told me that it's playing this episode on November 13th, 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. So set your fucking calendars and your watch. Or if you're a regular person, you could just probably watch it's it on, on YouTube. Hulu. Oh, it's on Hulu. Hulu, yeah, on demand, something. Yeah, my
1: husband hates me because I'm I put on Ghost Adventures. I think it's a good nighttime thing. It's we not, go to because... sleep
0: to Ghost Adventures. <laughs> Nothing is more soothing than falling asleep to Zach Baggins screaming,
1: come fight me in the dark. <laughs> I was about to say that. You want him and it's just Aaron alone in You a room. want us, you got us. <laughs> and by us, it's Aaron alone. Like, it's so funny that he's just like, so like,
0: are you mad that you got shot and died (laughs) unexpectedly? Yeah, fucking Zach. Anyone's going to be fucking mad about that. We love Ghost Adventures.
1: Skip this down a little bit.
0: Maybe. Maybe. (laughs) But, uh. Oh, is that it? That's it. That's all I got. That's all you got. Yeah, that's all I got for the Bell Witch. A lot of this, and I I do want to say too, a lot of this is all just speculation, um, stories, and legends. Not anything, honestly, is even really like credible, like 100%. Because
1: it's accounts of accounts.
0: It's all just like, well, my grandpa told me this, or my great aunt told me that. And there's a lot of newspaper articles written, and they're mostly just like what people said that was going on inside. Yeah, it's
1: it's all secondhand accounts, basically.
0: Right, it's all just like, I heard this from someone is from someone else. It's just all just rumors, legends.
1: Yeah. Things like that. That's kind of like what the, uh, I think it's called the Ingram journals. So it was just different people's accounts of it, but he didn't want to release it until that primary bell family that lived in the house had passed away, which I believe would have been Betsy was the last one that had passed in the immediate family that lived in the house that had the initial experiences. So he made it sound like he wanted to get everybody's encounters with the bell, which before he had released this book, but actually, if you think about it, the reason why he would have waited is no one can credit it. And
0: no one no can one, say that
1: that's wrong. No one can what defend he themselves there. too. Mm-hmm. Like there, I I
0: read that after Betsy like got married and moved away, she never talked about the Bell Witch ever again. Like refused to talk about her, mm-hmm. and she I. <sighs> I'm foggy on this one, but I remember reading that someone did try to publish something about the Bell Witch and her, and she actually threatened to sue them, mm. which whoever she was suing obviously had to recant whatever they said about her. Or another thought that I had whenever I was researching was that thinking back to, like, the Salem Witch Trials where everybody just had, like, any misbehaving children would point fingers at it being a witch. Mm. So, like, what if the children of the home were just misbehaving and blaming it on a witch and then it just happened so frequently that maybe john bell senior started believing it in himself and started getting that facial paralysis which was strokes and neurological disorders and then he started believing in it it starts to
1: become a a scapegoat for everything exactly
0: and uh, i saw a large bird yesterday it must have been the witch (laughs) right i also saw something too saying that and i don't remember who speculated it or who said it, but I saw something saying that this entity or Kate allegedly started attacking John Bell Sr. so much because Betsy was being sexually abused by... Oh, no, wait, no. It was a psychic. So some psychic went to the Bell Witch home or the cave or something and claimed that she knew the real reason why... John Valsiner was killed was because there was a f- family member that was sexually abusing Betsy and he knew about it but wasn't doing anything about it. So that's why this entity or spirit eventually killed him.
1: But why would Betsy also be getting having these encounters with the witch then? Unless if she's not. Mm-hmm. Unless she made it up. Oh. And uh, because she,
0: uh, in my opinion, probably made up the fact that. It was just an excuse for her to break up with Joshua Gardner Mm -hmm. and marry, um, what's his face? Her teacher. (laughs) But, and then also, too, I read that John Bell was poisoned, but was poisoned by one of his slaves. That's why he died. But then the entity just took credit for it i mean there's it's just Mm. legends on top of legends things on top of things nobody fucking knows what happens it's all just speculation go
1: to the cave figure it out maybe you will write us an email maybe you'll tell us about it on our facebook our instagram or maybe twitter
0: (laughs) jk don't don't, don't hit Twitter. Us up on Twitter.
1: We don't understand it yet. Should we know how to understand it? I don't know. Do people Do people Twitter? Do people tweet? Am I a twat for not <laughs> tweeting? <laughs> Tweeting's for the birds. And don't forget to send us your sweet ass reviews on iTunes, Stitcher, Podchaser, Castbox, or um Facebook. Don't forget to send us those sweet-ass stories. Them creepy stories. We want them. So that you can be entered into the spooktacular surprise giveaway. And so we can put your story in a scrapbook. In a creepy burrito scrapbook. And on that note, until next week, come back. Get lost in that sauce with us. Bye-bye now. Bye-bye. I
0: was once very happy. Oh, it sounds like the, uh, oh (laughs) my God. I was once very happy.
1: Oh no! But now I've been disturbed. I hate you so much. I hate it. I hate it.